We'll have to save the rest of that conversation for another episode of Something to Rant About. Yes, so. our, our secret podcast, Something to Rant About. <laughs> the one that doesn't get published. No. one that doesn't exist. Yeah. But Hello, the, everyone. That's the pre-show com- conversation, is Something to Rant About. So. <laughs> we had a live audience that oh. they would hear. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> that's the members-only content. You know, you get subscribers with the membership. That'd be cool. <laughs> that's the, ne- if you wanna, the next phase of the Something to Rant About. If you want to pay extra... <laughs> That's what, you know, you're seeing more and more of that, like the Daily Wire stuff. Um, we could know, do like a Patreon thing. I think the Blaze is like, the, there's a, a bunch of different, um, like, political content stuff. I don't mm. know of any Christian content that's out there, but a lot of um, a lot of those things where there's your general content that everybody gets, right. which is really to suck you into get right. to supporting it. And, right. and I, I get it. I'm not in any way saying anything against it. I think that's very valid. But... Uh, then when you have a, a subscription, a paid subscription, then right. you get the full content. You get to see more things. and That's pretty cool. I don't think that anybody cares enough about what we have to say to actually do that. <laughs> what if I threw so, in a cookie? Like, well, you know, you throw in a cookie, that's a good every thing. Every month or something. You get if, we had, if we could get to have, you know, Stacy sing for the members-only content, you know, perform one of your There's songs There's not enough here, money so. you could pay. You say that, and I yet... Do say, I do say that. You say that. When I, It's funny because when I was doing, when I was singing, like, doing shows and stuff, I, I got paid nothing, so... And I traveled, like, right. a lot, and... So there was easily enough money and to pay And wasn't sketchy, that, so. sketchy places, so... Yeah. I was really stupid. Well, that's one nice thing here is this is a no alcohol podcast, so you know you don't have nearly as much of the the skeezy, questionable things going on as some of the places you played music. That's so. true. I could have died several <laughs> times. Super glad you didn't, or yep. we would not be here today to talk about palm branches and fig trees. Palm branches so and fig trees. It was, you know, Sunday was. Palm Sunday, we... we uh, you just remembered that on that. last Tuesday. <laughs> I did. I did. It did definitely changed the direction of the sermon. Well, it sort of changed the direction of the sermon. You kept it, it all tied together, I seemed thought. To fit. Well, I was afraid that it seemed disjointed to those... It, it worked in my mind. It worked on my paper. I wasn't sure that it worked in Welcome the mind of the life. listener. So we'll see how I how thought it worked out. out well. But, but you know, and, and when we're looking, at, we're, we're progressing through our All for One series and looking at the book of Ephesians. And, and since we had reached this natural division in the book, as Paul's got it set up uh, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, looking at our position in Christ, and then the last three chapters looking at our, our practice in Christ. So mm-hmm. if, we, if we are in Christ, then this is what it looks like. Right. And so, um, it was a nice break. It seemed like a good spot to. I think I'm pretty sure I said, you know, a couple of times in the sermon that you have to. We'll cover this next week. We're not covering it next you week. You did, and I was going to say, Easter, I was like, so no, you're not. If we do, it's only by uh, by God's uh, providence because we're focusing on the resurrection right. next week. So <laughs> if and something comes up, there's unrelated, not, not going to be a sermon. <laughs> no, it'll be a series of readings so, instead, but uh, readings and songs. Two weeks. And so, yes, we will come back to those things in future sermons. But as we were looking at this, I should stop making my glasses tap on the on the table. It's ASMR now. Um, as always. <laughs> um, Welcome to something real. As, as we were looking at this, you know, and studying and, and and celebrating the entry of Christ into Jerusalem, where he is, uh, to whatever extent, acknowledged as Messiah and King mm-hmm. coming in. Um, the, the, the crowds around Bethphage and, and Bethany are coming out and 
And we all know the story. Jesus comes riding uh, on a donkey, and the people shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. That was from a children's video when I was when raising my sons and daughters. Uh, anyhow, the as their donut man, Rob Evans, uh, you should check it out. It's great stuff. Um, anyhow, the... The story, we often will just look at this as, as this great celebration of Jesus, um, and then we don't really follow through with that. And, right. and it's there are a lot of folks in, in Christian churches who see this as kind of awkward. And, and I, I will say as a preacher, it can be awkward because we got a huge amount of content. Like, for example, in the book of John, um, you've got, you know, at least a third of the book devoted mm-hmm. to this last week of, of Jesus' life on earth. And we're trying to pack that into, you know, the, the crucifixion and everything on right. two Sunday mornings. Right. So when you look at um, at older church traditions where you're able to, to pack this or unpack this, I should say, over the course of that week, of Holy Week, with multiple services right. and, and different things, then that's a really uh, different dynamic. And so for us at Real Life, we we have Sunday morning, and then you know we have our, our various you know individual groups that meet, but they're not connected in the same way. But for this week, we have our, uh, our Messianic Passover Seder that we do on Thursday. So we, we celebrate that on Monday, Thursday. We've tied it to the events of Christ's death and resurrection as opposed to the the Jewish Passover, even though we are celebrating that Passover, but we're tying it to the New Covenant rather than the than to the Old. Um, and that's turned out, it was supposed to be a one, one-off one deal, and, oh, and it wound up being um, immensely popular, and it's it's been a great teaching opportunity for our folks to understand the the... Uh, the ordinance of communion or remembrance celebration, as we can connect that to mm-hmm. the Passover and how Jesus connected Himself to that. So it's been a very good fellowship thing. It's been a great uh, teaching thing, a, a great time of worship and brisket. So lots of food. Um, it's not specifically kosher. It's not kosher prepared according to uh, the the kosher laws, but um, it is um, specifically Jewish recipes. So it's been very good in, in trying to keep the connection in our minds as Gentiles celebrating a Hebrew festival. There aren't many people around here who have kosher kitchens. No, not in, <laughs> not in our community, right. in some of the surrounding communities, right. you know, in South Bend and, right, and, right, right. and Michigan City and so on. But anyhow, uh, then on Good Friday, we we have a kind of a unique service for us. It's mm. pretty normal, I think, for folks from a more of a liturgical high church kind of background. Um, but we have what, what we call a contemplative worship service focused on, uh, on on the crucifixion, on what's going on that night. So it's not really a tenebrae service. Uh, some some folks who are listening might be familiar with that. It's not that's not really our tradition. Uh, but a tenebrae service is a service of, of darkness, um, and it's it's very somber and, and focuses on. It's not quite that, but it's sort of in that vein where mm-hmm. where we're, um, you know. There's no sermon, but we are reading through the story together, and it's and, and so we are together um, in guided prayer, in in responsive readings. That's really foreign to what we normally do at, at real life. But it also really seems to fit that day. It does, and and I think because it's unusual for us, that it, makes it's it become even, more yeah. powerful. It's one of I'll say my brother. It's one of his. Um, 
I don't know if favorite is the right word. I but, get it, yeah. But it's it's a real high point right. for him. And, and all of the overseers are like, man, every time we do this, I'm having such a hard time not breaking down as I'm reading these right. scriptures. But I think because it's unusual for us, it makes it more meaningful. Right. And I'll, I'll say my brother, when we grew up, we grew up in a Baptist church that would often use responsive readings from the back of the hymnal and stuff. And that was like his least favorite part. Hates everything having to do with responsive readings. But on that day, in that setting, it's different. Mm-hmm. And so we get to, to focus in on that day on the resurrection or on the, on the crucifixion. And then our Easter service is focused on, on the resurrection. So we, we generally will have you know a little bit. We'll have some of our songs. It's primarily a music service mm-hmm. and, and reading, and I'll, I'll connect the dots on some of that stuff. Um, but And I don't think it's possible for us to do it without a gospel presentation in, in some form. Right. But we usually start with a little bit of, uh, you know, looking at what happened on Friday, but most of the time is focused on the celebration of Sunday morning, that Jesus is alive and, and this means everything for us. Uh, most years, I think there are very few years we don't do Were You There, mm-hmm. which is a great transition song between the two right. movements. Um, but what do you do with Palm Sunday? You know, it's... They're, they're celebrating him coming in, and there is the fulfillment of prophecy. You see Zechariah 9.9, and, and the recognition of Jesus as who he said that he was, only they still don't get it. And so the crowds just a week later are shouting, crucify him. Now, right. in reality, we don't know that it's the same, if there were any of the same people, and likely they were, there were some, but these folks aren't in Jerusalem. They're outside of Jerusalem right. as he's approaching. Um, probably, you know, more country country town folks, not city folks. Um, it might be an entirely different group of people mm-hmm. at the end of the week. And yet, the dynamic is still the same. You know, some of these people would, would likely have been there. Uh, some were true believers who would not waver, uh, although we see that everybody fell away, even his closest disciples fell away during the time of his crucifixion. But in any case, you go from Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify him. Give us this, you know, give us this terrible, uh, convicted criminal uh, Barabbas, mm-hmm. and crucify Jesus. That's a that's a pretty big shift, a big transition. And so, as we're looking at at Ephesians, how do how does Paul? Later on, talking about who we are in Christ and, and God's sovereign election and bringing us in and his sanctification of us and bringing us from death to life, we can see how that connects to the crucifixion and the resurrection. I mean, that's, that's the gospel. That's everything. We're right. saved by grace through the cross. So that is an easy connection. How do we connect that to Palm Sunday? Mm. And I think really what it comes down to is is where we see this connection between the first half and the second half of the book of Ephesians. In the first half, the focus is not on behavior at all. It's not about do this, don't do that. You know, if you follow this set of rules, then God will accept you. It's exactly the opposite. You don't ever live up to God's standard. Therefore, being already dead in sin by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection, 
God has made us alive in Christ. And that, that reconciliation to God through the redemption purchased by, by our Lord is what brings us all together so that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. We're all, all on level ground at the foot of the cross. Now, Paul says, if that is true of you, you know, he, he uh, you know, says in, in Romans 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And, and that's a really crucial thing. I, I think we get that switched around in our mind. As if he's saying, you need to be worthy. You need to, you know, to earn this. You've got to clean up your act. Uh, whether we actually associate that verse with it or not, we still, as Christ followers even, often fall into that, that moral, I hesitate to use the word legalism here, but I don't think I have a better way of saying it, um, into sort of a moral legalism that says, Yes, Jesus. Yes, grace. Yes, faith. Uh, but I have to add something to it. Mm. You know, what What do I do? Um, well, what does a dead man do? Nothing. And, and to borrow from R.C. Sproul, uh, nothing isn't a little bit of something. Right. You know, there, there's you're not adding anything to it. It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus plus my effort or Jesus plus I just have to really hold on tight and and, and trust Him. Uh, you know, if, and if I mess up or if I have doubts, then it's all over. Mm-hmm. It's not that, and we can't. It's been very, very clear. In fact, the entire Old Testament is written to show us that we can't keep the law. That that's the the powerful message of the Old Testament. It's not live a good life. Right. It's you don't live a good life. Right. You you might live a good life by human standards. Which is what has happened if, if you look at how um, most contemporary Jewish folks, and I'm by no means an expert, so I don't if I if I'm wrong on that, somebody can correct me. But as I as I look at even um, devoutly practicing Jews, the primary focus is very often on doing your best, giving your right. best effort. Um, you know, God God is gracious and He understands, but you have to follow the law, and if you don't keep the law then you're in trouble. But the whole focus of the Old Testament, it's pretty tough to get away from without without doing some gymnastics here. It's really tough to get away from the reality that the picture is that you can't. You, you never are going to, and no one does. And therefore, death is the cost. And so the sacrificial system points in that direction. Right, and I think we've talked about this before. There was, you know... You sacrificed an animal, and five seconds later, you would need to sacrifice another animal because right. you're just going to keep sinning, and or, or at the very least, not obeying every little law. Right. Uh, I just I'm in so numbers, and it somebody was a just picture. got I'm in numbers, and somebody literally just got swallowed into the ground yeah. because they didn't do what they're supposed to. So yeah, there's no way that you can that you can do it on your own or follow every law. I right. mean. That should be obvious. Well, we see David and others say, you know, I'm, I'm blameless before God. Right. God. God knows I haven't sinned. That isn't within a limited context. And, and to borrow a phrase I heard from someone the other day, I think it was probably R.C. Sproul, but I'm not sure, um, that David was using a, um, in several places what you might call sanctified hyperbole. Mm. He's making a point linguistically that is not literal at that point. But... Yes, I'm blameless. I'm innocent of this crime. I'm innocent within this limited scope, but not that I am without sin before God. Yeah. That's 
contrary to to everything else that you read, even from David himself. Right. So, as we look at 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 this picture here of living a life worthy of the calling you've received, the point is you've already received the calling, and everything in in Ephesians one through three is saying. God chose you, God adopted you, God, God predestined you to be sanctified, to be holy and blameless in his sight, to be conformed to the image of Christ we see elsewhere. Uh, and because he did this, okay, and we see in, in Ephesians 2, he, he moved us from death to life. We were dead in our sins. All of us were in that state. And through Christ, by, by his substitutionary atonement his death in our place on the cross to make us right with god we've been then transferred from death to life our nature has been changed our identity has been changed and again as a dead person i contribute nothing right right that's the the, the guy in the back of the hearse is not driving he's right. not doing anything he so, did um so because of that i can't prior to being made alive i can't live a life worthy right that's but since I've been made alive, my life of gratitude demonstrates that this calling is, is effective and it's, it's, it's meaningful and powerful in my life. I have actually been changed. And to right. borrow again from the Old Testament, from Ezekiel 36, God takes out our heart of stone, our, our old natural heart that's been hardened by our sin nature, and he puts in a heart of flesh that's soft and responsive to him mm-hmm. that's done by his spirit, not, not by us. We don't you know, work our way up to that. But now that we've been made his in this new covenant, we've been made his children, we need to live like we're part of the family. We need to right. look like daddy. And that was, even in the Old Testament, that was the picture. Right. The law was given to Israel. Because God had called Israel to be his. I've set you apart. I've called, I've separated you out from the nations, Leviticus 20, 26. I've set you apart. I've called you out from them that you should be mine. And in this being his, then he calls us to live according to that covenant. Mm-hmm. So now the law, it's not that it didn't apply to anyone else. It's that nobody else was even, it wasn't even on their minds. It wasn't right. even a factor. So sin was sin always for everyone. But those who were set apart for God needed to live like they were set apart for God. That, that's something that did not change. So now in Christ, we could not be his if he had not made us his. Mm. Because, again, we were dead. He made us alive. We were outsiders. He made us insiders. We were foreigners. He made us citizens. We were, we were orphans without God, without hope in the world. And he adopted us. He did all of that. Now, because he has, why in the world would we do anything else but live for him since he died for us? And that was actually our, our memory verse uh, for the week was from 2 Corinthians 5.15. Uh, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so that's kind of the picture, the, the connection between Palm Sunday when they're... they're you know, we read it from Mark 11, and they're shouting Hosanna. Um, it, it's the connection between that series of events together. We see that with uh, put together with the cleansing of the temple, with the cursing of fig tree, and then in Luke we even see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem in that same uh, that same series together. There, that there's 
there's an external appearance, but there's no change inside. And so these same folks who are acknowledging him as king are doing so on their terms. Mm. They're not doing it on his terms. Paul is saying in Ephesians, if you belong to him, live like it. Right. If there's an inside change, then that needs to show up on the outside. And that outside, it has to be more than just behavioral modification. Right. It has to be something that flows out of a real relationship. You kind of touched on this before we, in the premium content, uh, <laughs> you were kind of touching on that, uh, that you know, the, the, one of the major problems that Christianity seems to be facing right now is that too many people are kind of being that way. And, yeah. and it's not really, it's a, I mean, I'm, I'm not... Yeah, just, I don't think that problem's new either. Right, you know, I, but it's a lot of... Uh, I don't want to say lip service, but it's a lot of saying one thing and doing another, um, and that. And I think as a result, that snowballs into people giving the church a bad rep and uh, thinking Christianity is a certain way, thinking Christians are a certain way, mm. and because that's becoming more prominent, that's becoming a greater stereotype, and it's a negative stereotype. And then I think that there are smaller, there's a smaller and smaller group of Christ followers who are, you know, trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And it's it's hard to, you know, stand here and shout yeah. over the noise that's being created that's not true. Can know? I be real frank and, and honest here? Can I, I still be Stacy? Yeah, <laughs> Frank was your nickname in high school, isn't it? That's, uh, that's a different story. <laughs> so uh, I, I I really. Um, and this will probably offend some folks as I say it. Oh, good. I really feel like the seeker-driven movement of the last 20 or 25 years um, has made the problem worse, not better. We've got more people coming into a church environment that are not connecting mm. because we've got this consumer event that, that's a big part of it. And it kind of, the pendulum swings from the consumer event where I show up on Sunday for a concert and a lecture and it's awesome and fun and super to the social gospel aspect where it, it, it's not really about Sunday, it's about are you doing good deeds, are you out mm. there taking care of the poor and so on. And, and that pendulum swing from those two extremes um, really misses the boat. And so what we end up having, I, th I think, and this is purely anecdotal, it's, I don't have research other than my own observation, I, I think what we're seeing a lot of is a world still asking the same questions. We're, I mean, people are not hurting less than we were hurting a generation ago. Right. Um, people are not confused and lost any, any less than they were in previous generations. But they are going elsewhere for answers instead of to the church mm -hmm. because the church in, in popular culture, not, and this is not the church at large, and I can't speak to churches in other, uh, in other uh, cultures, other nations or continents, um, but it's become so much of a show. We've right. gone from, the, uh, from more of the stuffed shirt crowd, I guess, you know, if you look back to early 70s and the Jesus movement and the perception was people were, you know, living in that somewhat hypocritical and holier than thou kind of thing, but everybody's, you know, wearing a suit and tie and putting on a whole different kind of show and not connecting with the long haired hippie movement. Um, and the Jesus movement said, look, we don't care what you look like. Right. We, we, it's about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. And that was great. And then we get to, you know, the that starts to come into uh, a, a maturity of sorts 
And, and very often, unfortunately, it lacked depth. It had the mm-hmm. passion, it had the intimacy, but it didn't have the depth of commitment. And I'm speaking in, in marriage terms here in a lot of ways. And so church membership became unimportant. Um, the the spiritual maturity and growth became unimportant to folks. It was really, there was a song to this effect, that me and Jesus got our own thing going. So we're going to have this personal relationship with Christ, which is good because we were lacking that in too much of the American church at the right. time uh, to where now we don't need the church. We just need to have our little, little communes or different things. Right. And, of course, there are a number of, cult spinoffs that, that came from from that sort of thing right that kind of spilled over into like my generation with the wwjd thing and, yeah and i think every generation has some kind of a, of a it's a reforming movement a a renewing a, a, a newer passion where we're looking for something and one of the differences between so many of these and and what we see in like the great reformation or the the first great awakening uh in america is the lack of depth, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we have all these surface things and we don't have the depth right. that, that keeps us grounded and causes us stability. So anyway, that, that passionate Jesus movement of the 70s, as those folks grew up, turned into sort of an industry in the mm-hmm. 80s. And Jesus music, which was pretty organic, I've been listening to a lot of that lately, so it's in my mind, uh, which was you know, pretty organic. Folks who were doing hippie music or, or you know music that was popular at the time got saved. They kept doing the same kind of music, but now it was about Jesus instead of about you know <laughs> you know all the different nefarious things that were going on in the world. So and some sometimes it was still the same. Sometimes it was still protest songs. It was still mm-hmm. you know protesting racism or protesting war or so on and so forth. But now it was from what is it that God wants right. rather than what is it that I want in my humanistic perspective? Well, then by the 80s, that, that had kind of transitioned to the, the CCM, the Contemporary Christian Music Market or Industry, if you will, uh, which inevitably happens with, with human things. We, we start to, you can always follow the money. And uh, again, big shaping influence in my life, but, but it became more corporate. Things became, right. uh, you know, more if I may, bougie, as we were dealing with this stuff. You may not. <laughs> it's a little late now. <laughs> it's, it's recorded. Uh, so as we're going through all of that, then you have the sort of a backlash to that in the 90s where it was um, kind of a... Um, this is when the the punk pop music really started to become say, cop- you got your POVs, popular. You got right, your... and the grunge music started right. to become popular. Well, I think that that was a reflective of what was going on in the society. Yeah. So we we wanted to feel that same kind of rebellion that people saw in the late '60s and early '70s, because we're seeing things get so sanitized and corporate that it's we not connecting with real life. So we got keep it real. Right. You know, we're gonna get get more of a street level. Wear a lot of flannel. Um, and. and and that there was never not that that undercurrent someplace in, in right. a, a counterculture subculture there, um, but then even that became corporate, you yes, know. So right. so then you've got corporate pop punk music, right? You know, and that's what I listened so to in high school. Corporate grunge music that's always great. There's even a band know. called Something Corporate. So all of those types of things. And the WWJD, which was a, a youth group thing. And the Jesus I think it started thing. in Holland or, or Muskegon uh, and became a nationwide phenomenon by selling bracelets. novelty items. I remember the bracelets were big. So as we're selling novelty items, we're not actually studying what Jesus did and why right, he did Right, and that kind it. of puts like a surface thing, like, oh, yeah, Jesus was just nice to everybody. Right. Okay. So now it's kind of, it's almost kind of a joke. So right. you've got, you know, 
WW all kinds of things, you know, right. what, you know, what would Kanye do and different things like that. So we've kind of lost. Uh, I don't think Kanye knows. <laughs> kind of lost a lot of the, the, the dynamic of that pretty early right. because it became popular. And once something becomes popular, then it, it loses some of that more organic momentum. Well, that, it that burns out quickly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why nothing stays popular forever. So when you look at what happened there, you, you had youth groups and, and you know, we, you and I have talked before. I've spent a lot of time last night talking to Dennis about our Dennis is our youth leader about my frustration in 30 plus years of youth ministry with the if I if I can say the youth ministry industry we've we've created this idea of youth ministry that is not i don't think biblical at all right so we do fun things and we come up with clever catchphrases and we give a cute name to our youth group and we well, paint that, the room and we do that, a wwjd uh, right even that movie i told you to watch the other day yeah, super the, cheesy right super cheesy but it's like fun a musical yeah uh, i forget what it's called a week away it's on netflix it's cute. It's a cheesy little musical. Yeah. It's about a, a church camp, but it's like they're doing all they're doing paintballing and playing right. football and whatever. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. And but, no mention of Jesus at all. Right. But it is a Netflix thing, right. I guess. But it's about you know. as much as you're going to get on Netflix. But it, and, and it was it was nice, fun, clean fare, and you had this general idea of God being talked about and God loves you. But that's the problem, I think, is we've got all of the trappings, mm-hmm. and and it's not. You know, people will say, well, when you think of that, maybe you think of you know, Roman Catholicism and all of the religious trappings that go along with high church stuff where you've got um, a certain way of acting, a certain mm-hmm. liturgy that you follow and these different things. But it's all it is is a contemporized version of the same thing where we've got something that looks Christian, it right. sounds Christian, but we're not putting down roots of depth to say, hey, let's actually study, going back to right. WWJD, let's actually study the Word of God. Right. What did Jesus do? Right. Why did Jesus do it? Why did Jesus say these hard things? And, you know, so now we got people saying, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. He actually did. But if we don't actually study what the Bible says, then we're not going to know that because it, it's not... If you don't laid study out it the way you expect it to be. Stop trying to twist the words and right. whatever else. So you know when we look at what Jesus says in the context that he's in, in, in that first century uh, Near East situation, especially in and around Jerusalem, and as a Jewish person in a Jewish society that is influenced heavily by the Roman uh, the Roman occupation there, uh, as you're dealing with all of these things, you can't read that apart from the Old Testament. Mm. And if you don't understand how those two things relate, then WWJD is going to mean nothing in your life. Uh, we were, my mom and I were talking about a Josh Wilson song, you probably heard it, uh, Revolutionary, which is a good song in a lot of ways. Um, but in light of our current context, our, our current social milieu, are uh, um, there's a line in there in the bridge that's uh, what would Jesus do? He would love first. That's and, popping up all over my Facebook on T-shirts. Yeah, and so the point that gets twisted from the, that, which is true by the right. way, you know. But w- who and what would Jesus love first? Right. And what we know for a fact because he said this is that he would love God first mm-hmm. above everything else. So the standards of holiness that God expects God's perfect standard is even greater than the love of neighbor. Mm. 
That's the greatest commandment. The love of neighbor comes out of that. So how, who would Jesus love? How would he love them? Not with words, not by supporting sin, but he supports and loves your relationship to God. Right. Jesus' first and primary message was repent. The kingdom of God is near. That's how he starts his ministry. That's what he's saying all the way through. So he, the, the repentance that he's talking about, the repentance that John the Baptist talks about, when the Pharisees show up, they're, they're there at the baptism, and he's like, who invited you here? What he really said was, you know, who told you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you're going to say you're repenting, don't come here and get dunked in the water. If you're going to actually repent, it needs to show up that you've changed your mind and changed your direction. That's what Jesus is calling people to. And yes, he is extending the grace and forgiveness that God gives us. That was his purpose, to seek and to save the lost. That's from Luke 19.10. That's what he came for. But he had to seek and save them from something. They're not just wandering aimlessly lost like people, well, I mean, they are, but the point is there is a way, there is a, a truth, there is a life, and they're wandering aimlessly lost from that. They're not connected with real life, and Jesus is offering real life in himself. So if you, if you don't see that gospel message, if the gospel isn't central to it, then you're not reading the whole text of the book. You're not, you're not picking up on that. So what Jesus says, what Paul says, what James says, what, what all of the writers of Scripture are saying is this needs to be real. It is faith. Paul, Paul talks about Abraham's faith, that he's not uh, saved by his righteous deeds, but he was saved because his faith was credited to him as righteousness. That was in the Old Testament. So for us, we have the righteousness of Christ attributed to us, and we receive that, we take hold of that by faith. But the same Paul that, that focuses on this faith apart from works, he actually uses that phrase, spends so much of his writing, including half of the book of Ephesians, to say your faith is what saves, or God's grace is what saves you. You take hold of that by faith, not by your works, but you are God's workmanship. Therefore, when you have been saved, when you have had your eyes opened, if you are legitimately converted, if you've been born again, then the only logical thing for you to do is good works, right. to, to work out your salvation, to live a life worthy of the calling because you actually get it and believe it. And there is a reality that you have embraced. It's more than a religious activity. I think there's a lot more to say, but I feel like we got to stop before we get another thing. So, Did you want to run over it something real quick? Yeah, just to I mean, just, just to, to work it through. I mean, the, this idea of palm branches and fig trees. We, we, you know, we talked about the three elements there. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the people are there and they're giving him praise mm -hmm. and he receives it. He says it's appropriate. It's it's necessary and fulfills the scripture. And he actually says, if they didn't do it, the rocks and stones would, because it was the time for that. Uh, but he knows he's not he's never caught up in in human praise um, but then he goes and cleanses the temple the temple he right. kicks out the the money den changers. of robbers the money changers because while it still looks the same uh, the the presence of god the glory of god the the worship of god was not there any longer now you're going through the forms but there's no power to mm -hmm. it you you've it was 
it looked alive on the outside, but it was dead on the inside. And then he has this um, visual parable he does with them uh, regarding this fig tree. It's in leaf, but it's not time, it's not the season for it. And in showing that the season for uh, for Judaism, if I can use that term, uh, the, the season for the religious law and for the religious leaders of Israel to be the life-giving source, that season was passed. So he curses this fig tree because it looks like it has fruit on it, but it doesn't. And so that's the call to us, that those who know Jesus as Lord live like Jesus is Lord. So you know, true worship is more than emotion. Um, we need to recognize that, that the king, Jesus, comes on his terms, not on ours. We, we don't worship him based on our expectation of him, but on who he is as he's revealed himself in the word. Um, we see that the Lord gives his chosen ones new minds and new hearts. So in the first half of Ephesians, when, um, when Paul is describing for us what happens in us, our new identities as children of God, able to please God for the first time, um, what happens in us is we have a new set of affections as God gives us a new heart. We have a new uh, worldview, a new way of looking at things. We, the things that didn't make sense before that because of our spiritual darkness, they seem like foolishness, now make sense. And now we can recognize the darkness in the world around mm -hmm. us. You know, I become so much more keenly aware of how broken the world is when I recognize, wait a minute, I, I'm, now I'm seeing through spiritual eyes. Right. It changes things. Uh, and so then the call for us is to be who you are, not who you were, um, that, that we've been changed. So why would we live like who we used to be when we were dead? We don't want to have that zombie life. We let, let the dead stay dead. And, and we want to uh, recognize that those who belong to Christ demonstrate that by living for Christ. It, it shows. It's not what, it's not my living for Christ, my living according to his commands and obeying the words of Jesus is not how I get to him. Right. I come to him in repentance and receive his grace. Mm -hmm. But then because of that, the sign that is demonstrated by the fact that I'm living for Christ. And how can it not just pour right. out of you when you realize that? You right. It, it becomes the logical right. thing. And it's that's why a, he says in Romans 12. Or... Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's not an obligation. Right. It's not a checklist. It's not a. And, and religion is like that. I have to do these things. I have to keep these things. And, and it's not that we don't have guilt and shame occasionally come up when we falter and we live like who we used to be. But we're not dominated by the guilt and shame because we're not defined by that sin any longer. It's not who we are. It's something that's foreign to who we are. And, and uh, I like to compare it to the old clothes that don't fit us anymore. Get rid of them. Stop putting on old clothes that don't fit. That doesn't make any sense. So when we've been clothed in Christ's righteousness, our own stuff doesn't it doesn't work anymore for right. us. So. It's out of fashion. All right, we will stop there because we're way over. But uh, that wasn't hard, was it? No, and I feel like we could have touched on way more. But um, and that's without the pre-show rant. That is true. <laughs> Let us know if you want to pay for the free show. Uh, <coughs> next week is Easter. Next week is Easter. Um, Thank you. I'll make sure that I plan for that. <laughs> um, so if you're in the area, feel free to join us uh, here in Three Oaks for our Easter service at 10.04 a.m. Uh, there, you know, we 
follow guidelines for mask wearing. We'll do social distancing as much as possible. So I want to make sure everyone feels safe. Uh, if you're we'll not, set up some overflow out in the lobby area just so to make sure space. that we've got space for people. Cool. Um, if you're not in the area or you are more comfortable at home, uh, feel free to watch our live stream either on Facebook or YouTube of the service. We will do that. Um, if you have any questions about today's episode or anything in the past, feel free to email us at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org. Leave us a voicemail. Or the future. Or we the may future. not have an answer. If you have questions yeah. about the future, let me know because I'm curious. Uh, 269-756-RLCC or you can leave us a message on Facebook or YouTube. That's all I got. As long as the flux capacitor is working, we're in good shape. What a nerd. Okay. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. We will catch you later.